Hello, everyone, and welcome to Brain Food, a podcast about how gastrointestinal health, exercise, and nutrition can be uniquely used to unlock your maximum potential. I'm your host, Isha Das, an undergraduate student pursuing a medical career in gastroenterology. I'm here to explore the world of all things health with you, from diet culture to the microbiome. I will be speaking with professionals and speaking of my own personal experience, really focusing on these health topics from a young adult's point of view. Let's get started. Welcome to episode seven of the Brain Food Podcast. This week, I had the opportunity to have such an incredible information-filled conversation with my guest, so much so that this episode was split into two parts. Today, I am here with Dr. Anu French, a holistic pediatrician who has been in practice for 26 years and is trained and board certified in integrative psychiatry and integrative medicine. Dr. French goes further than the stereotypical doctor, in which she also has a website which she uses to create healthier communities through healthier kids, using art and music as tools to build intergenerational resilience. We dive deep into every aspect of health you can imagine, including nutrition, sleep, balance, healthy relationships, and how to manage stress. She shares many of her healthy habits she does herself, which most definitely work considering how glowing and young her skin looks. Let's get started. Hi, everyone, and welcome back to the seventh episode of the Brain Food Podcast. I'm here today with Dr. Anu French, who I'm going to go ahead and let introduce herself. Hi, Isha. Thank you so much for having me on. I'm just actually really delighted to be here, and congratulations on this podcast. This is such good work you're doing, getting the word out about just, you know, healthy choices and healthy lifestyle, you know, making healthy lifestyle choices. Um, I'm a pediatrician in St. Louis, Missouri. I've been in practice about 26 years. And about 10 years ago, I sort of burned out, actually, um, both professionally and personally. And I was looking for some other way to to find some meaning and purpose, you know, in practice and make it happy and joyful and fun again. And I stumbled on this fellowship in integrative medicine. And so now 10 years later, I'm, you know, I'm practicing pediatrics and integrative medicine and in St. Louis, Missouri, I'm, you know, and I'm part of Cardinal Glennon Children's Hospital. And I'm just really excited to be here today to talk about a few things that are important, I think, to me personally on my healing journey with my, my teenage children and also that I offer my families and my patients. Wonderful. I'm excited to get into it. All right. To start off, can you tell us what exactly is integrative medicine? Yeah, integrative medicine is it's a it's a fairly new field. Um, it is really where we bring in evidence based, complementary, alternative, holistic medicine into what we would call a traditional allopathic practice. Um, so we're blending, um, you know, time honored ancient practices with modern medicine, um, but we're doing it in an in an in an evidence based format or structure. And um, it really is medicine that takes into account the whole person, the whole child. Um, And, you know, we're looking at mind, body and spirit. And we're not looking at the child through the lens of organs, you know, um, compartmentalized medicine, but really looking at the child through the filter of the whole child. And we're also taking into account the powerful triad that is the the practitioner the clinician the parent and the child because we know how important it is to have a dynamic that involves the child you know empowering the child 
um, or the patient, you know, the teenager, and also um, making sure that, you know, the, the parent and the child feel like part of a team, you know. So that's another really important principle of integrative medicine. And we also, you know, we, we are looking at medicine itself, you know, healthcare itself, um, in the sense of like questioning things, you know, looking for new paradigms, better ways to do things more holistic ways to do things so um we're always looking for the 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 least doing the least harm um you know and also uh, creating safe spaces for families to come in and discuss all kinds of remedies and all kinds of um approaches to 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 healing um so that that to me is what um what integrative medicine is and um you know we the fellowship training is is through was through Andrew Wild Center for Integrative Medicine, who was really the first center um, to really offer this kind of training. But now there are several centers across the United States that offer training in integrative medicine, um, and, and and there's also board certification, which is really exciting. You know that happened uh, uh, the year that I finished in 2014. They brought out a board certification, which I think is great. You you recertify every 10 years. And um, I'm planning to, I'm going to recertify next year and I'm just shocked I'm doing some, <laughs> you know, I'm doing some um, continuing medical education, how much things have advanced already in just 10 years, like so many new paradigm shifts, no, so much new information. And just, um, just, it's really an exciting field to be in because there's just always, it's always moving in a, in a direction of exploration, you know, and I think it's really important to question the, the status quo all the time. Um, because I think of things that I was taught in pediatric residency 25 years ago and, and we don't even do any of that. It's obsolete, you know, I mean, like telling parents to put their babies on their bellies, for example, to sleep or not giving any peanuts to children till two, you know, or, you know, putting rice cereal in babies' bottles, you know, things that we were trained to do, which we, we, would, we would just kind of be like, oh, Oh, you know, my goodness, we won't do that today. But we did, you know, and so for many years, we 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 follow the science, but science also, you know, evolves and advances and changes and, and recommendations change. And so I think integrative medicine is on the cutting edge of that. It's always a little bit ahead of the curve, which is exciting. Yeah. Oh, thank you for that. So going off of all the different things that you kind of dive into as, as um, you practice integrative medicine, how important is sleep? As I'm sure that's something very central to practice. Yeah. And how can somebody bring that into their like busy college day, for example? Oh my goodness. I think as, an, as a grown adult also, I think we all face the challenge, right, of trying to get enough rest, you know, and, you know, I think the, the concept of sleeping, falling asleep, you know, um, as opposed, you know, surrendering almost to sleep than trying to actively fall asleep, you know, because I think it's like there's so much effort around trying to get that, you know, whatever, six hours, eight hours, nine hours, you know, and then also just, you know, getting sleep that actually feels restful, right? But I think there's a there's a process of surrender, um, but we, we focus so much on the time of falling asleep but actually we really should be focusing on our entire circadian rhythm. You know, we have a rhythm within our body that is determined by light. Um, and, 
you know, in the olden days, you know, we didn't have screens and we didn't have artificial light. And so people rose when the sun rose and they went to sleep when the sun slept, you know, and, and so their, their body circadian rhythm was on the circadian rhythm of the earth. And it changed with the season, you know, and people, you know, just, just did that. But now with all these um, resources we have, which are wonderful, I mean, it's great to have technology, right? I mean, like now we couldn't communicate if we didn't have technology right now, this podcast and being able to see each other virtually and all of that. Um, but with that comes this so much exposure to artificial light. And I mean, I've come to a point where, you know, you can't fight it. I mean, you have to uh, be on some sort of screen at certain points of the day to to educate yourself, to communicate, um, to entertain, you know, um, even to relax sometimes, you know. So um, I think the a few things that have helped me a lot and also I think that I, I recommend in my practice is um, when, you, when you get up is to just get up and look at the sun, to look towards the east or to look towards the the, the rising sun or the, the the sort of the dawn, dawning sky. Because there's, um, when you do that, you sort of set your circadian rhythm for the day, you know, and they say that if you can actually ground while you do that, which means actually go outside and feel the earth, you know, beneath your bare feet, which is called grounding. And it's even better if you're on grass, you know, um, there is a magnetic energy to our earth. As we know, right, we have a North Pole and a South Pole, right? And our bodies have poles too. They're, they're, our bodies are vibrational um, you know, entities, right? There's energetic uh, flow all the time. So we are very um, attuned, I would say, to, to, the, to the earth. And so grounding while looking at the light. And I think of my grandparents who used to get up and do yoga every morning, you know, this, what the sun salutation where they would actually bow and, and stretch in the direction of the sun. You know, there's, there was obviously great science behind those simple measures. So that's one thing I think is just, and it, it gets challenging, of course, with the change in time zones and the season and everything, but it really isn't that hard to get up and just look out the window even if you can't go out. So that's one thing. Setting your circadian rhythm, I think, is important. And then um, in the winter time, having something called a light box, which is something that's so simple to get. Um, you can get it on Amazon. You know, it's it's twenty thirty dollars, and um, it's uh, it's got specific um, ultraviolet light frequencies that actually help mood. You know, and also help you again set your circadian rhythm so that you start feeling sleepy at the right time of the day um, and and doing 15 20 30 minutes of that in the earlier hours of the morning and they're actually alarm alarm boxes now like that wake you up you know like they they have little birds chirping and then they slowly get lighter and lighter and lighter in your room and so it's almost like you have a little sunrise at your bedside so so that's another little sort of um a way to do it if you can't look out the window. You know, this is a, a light box hack that I call. And then the other important part of the day is the evening. So just like, you know, we aren't able to really turn off when the sun sets, right? We we can't. I mean, we a lot of us are doing work late into the evening. And that's where blue blockers, and these are glasses that block out blue light from our screens, from our televisions, from our phones, from our, you know, our laptops and desktops. Um, <clears throat> and what happens is blue light suppresses 
our endogenous production of melatonin. And melatonin is a very important piece of falling asleep. Um, and so if you don't make enough melatonin in the evening hours, you're just not going to feel tired. And, and so if you block blue light, then you allow your own melatonin to, to surge really at the right time. And then you start feeling tired and sleepy when it's time to go to sleep. And um, falling, then you can fall asleep, as I say, instead of trying to get to sleep, you know, and, and it becomes more of an act of surrender. So I think blue blockers are just a, such a simple thing. Again, you can get them on Amazon. You can get them everywhere. And um, you can get all cute cute, cute ones if you're worried about how you, you know, how they look too. Um, and you can get varying degrees of blockage from like 20 to 30% blocking, which those um, glasses don't have much of a tint. And you, no one can see what I'm wearing. You can see what I'm wearing now, but I'm wearing the ones that are like 80%. So they kind of have this little orangey yellow tint to them because they're really blocking out most of the blue light. So I think blue blockers are another great way to, to again, set your circadian rhythm so that you're looking at some light in the morning and then you're not looking at light in the evening so that your body starts to recognize, oh, I'm supposed to be waking up at this time and I'm supposed to be going to sleep. And I, I have I talk about this thing called golden milk and you might be familiar with it. It's, you know, it's, you know, it's, it's a, a recipe that I can, you know, share with you later if you want to share with people who are listening in, but it's, 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 it's a high fat milk. So it's whole milk, you know, cow's milk, or you can use coconut milk if you're dairy free. Um, or, um, you know, um, there's a ripple pea protein milk also. So it has to have a lot of fat in it. And you put a little bit of turmeric powder and a little bit of pepper and honey, lots and lots of honey, you know, and um, I like Manuka honey. And there are all kinds of ratios, but you can, you could just experiment with it. And, and, and warm it and drink it before you go to bed. And it's amazing because it has, it's rich in tryptophan, you know, which, you know, is what gets converted to serotonin, which we all need, you know, it's very important for our mood, which gets converted to melatonin. And so that's the sort of the concept of having a carby sort of snack before you go to bed. But again, I'm not advising pizza. <laughs> You know, I mean, I, I guess oatmeal is okay, you know, oatmeal or, you know, even pasta is okay as long as it's, you know, you just whole grain healthy pasta. But I think golden milk, it, it's, it really has all the little ingredients and it's like it's a time honored um, kind of remedy from Ayurveda, you know, the, you know, time, the ancient Indian um, medicine, you know, um, uh, practice that is really sort of a way of life more than an actual, you know, practice of medicine. But this is a recipe that I share quite a bit and use quite a bit myself. So so I think those three things would be where I would start as far as getting a good night's rest. Wow, that's so funny that you say that because my mom used to always make me the like the golden milk. I think she added a little bit of ginger to it too, but I would have it almost every day. And I think I had it almost every day for a year and I don't think I got sick once. Like it's insane. But um, that's definitely a good recipe to try. I think I'm going to start making that myself. <laughs> yeah, and you're right. Adding a little ginger is definitely a good idea because that's really good for your immune system and also for your, you know, it's just good for your joints and for your, you know, for your tummy and all of that too. Um, and, you know, the thing is, you know, turmeric powder is a pretty strong spice. And if it's not part of your regular sort of, you know, I think a lot of people from from Asian cultures are familiar with turmeric because we use it all the time. But um, 
it's not very commonly used in other um, cuisines and cultures. And so I always say to start low and slow, just like a little bit of it, you know, and slowly build up because you want to build up to at least quarter to half a teaspoon eventually for it to be really um, effective on many levels. Um, but um, if you put too much the first time, it's it's kind of a pungent spice. And if you don't, if you're not familiar with it, it's, it's kind of be like, okay, I don't want to ever do that again. So I always say start low and slow. And I say the honey is just great. You know, sweeten it with a little honey always you know takes the edge off some of the and you know just like just uh for people to know when you add pepper to turmeric it increases its absorption almost two thousand times like two thousand the amount i mean that's two thousand times more absorption it's incredible so that little uh sprinkle of of pepper black pepper it's important. It's piperine that's in the black pepper that helps curcumin's absorption. So that's why we kind of have it. And then the honey is to just to, is always just good for um, you know for health, but also it you know helps to sweeten it and balance some of the pungency of the spices. So wow, the more you know. <laughs> <laughs> so with other things that have to do a lot with like daily life, health, and also just being able to be more healthy we're talking about sleep where you're surrendering to sleep how about in the moment how can somebody bring mindfulness into the moment Moment, especially just like in today's day and generation everyone's so busy no one took a second so difficult I agree the challenge is there on a daily basis I mean I wanted to start a little bit with about stress you know I think it's important to understand the types of stress that we face like there's three types there's you know healthy stress which I'm experiencing right now. <laughs> so just being like being interviewed, for example, you know, your heart rate goes up a little, your respiratory rate goes up a little. Uh, you're like, okay, good. I hope I don't mess up. You know, hope I, you know, hope this is a value, you know, so your stress response is on and it's good. It's a good thing. And then as soon as we, we finish this, this interview, my stress hormones will go back to normal and my everything will come back to normal. And that kind of healthy stress is good because it, it keeps your immune system on alert and, it keeps all your systems working and then you have tolerable stress which is sort of like um you know if you lose a pet you lose a grandparent you have to move schools um you you get you have you you are diagnosed with a chronic illness um you know uh, i guess this pandemic would be considered you know sort of tolerable stress but that's more sustained stress and in that, then your systems are turned on for a little bit more. And then we have a little bit more stress response going on in the body. And, and it sometimes might take a few days or maybe a few weeks or maybe even a few months to turn off, depending on what the trigger is. And then we have toxic stress, which is just where this body is stressed constantly. And and um, I think, you know, the pandemic is sort of going into the point of where a lot of us are experiencing some degree of toxic stress. I would say personally, myself as a healthcare worker, being a doctor these days has been very, very stressful. And so um, I think that, you know, what what we understand is that we, we want our immune systems to be working in a way that we get inflamed from time to time. Like, you know, if you get burned, if you get cut, if you get a viral illness, you need immune systems to be turned on, right? And it has to work. It's got to churn out all those inflammatory mediators so they, they find where you need the healing. And then after all that's done, it needs to turn off. But the problem is we go into these states of chronic inflammation and the chronic inflammation is the root cause of everything. It's the root cause of autoimmune disease. It's the root cause of cancer. It's the root cause of mental illness. It's the root cause of pretty much any anything that you would talk about as chronic illness, heart disease, you know, 
um, Alzheimer's, you know, chronic um, cognitive decline, everything is driven by chronic inflammation. And so I think when you're young, uh, your age, there's such an opportunity um, to start incorporating simple things that can reverse inflammation or at least keep inflammation from progressing um, so that you don't go into sort of the chronic diseases of, and, 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 and you know, these diseases aren't necessarily of old age. You know, you can have them as, as a young person too. But um, I'm, I'm, I'm talking about how can we keep those levels of inflammation sort of um, working for us you know, so that they're helping us fight disease and not create disease in the body. And mindfulness, my goodness, is such a powerful tool. And, you know, um, there was a study done, you know, where they took volunteers and they, um, one group of them um, was taught mindfulness-based stress reduction practices, which is a MBSR, which um, is by John Kabat-Zinn, who's kind of like the father of mindfulness. And he, you know, they were taught how to do these mindfulness practice. The, the control group was not. And so they were brought in and they were capsaicin, which is from capsicum, you know, from bell peppers. It's kind of like it burns, creates kind of inflammation on the skin, was put on their skin on both, you know, all the volunteers. And then they were sent away for eight weeks. And one group did the mindfulness practices and one didn't, and they were brought back. And then the capsaicin was again put on their skin and the group that had done the MBSR did not have much of an inflammatory response. Um, and the other group did. And so it, these simple things show us that mindfulness, I think, mindfulness practices, being present in the moment um, is probably the, the strongest tool we have to fight inflammation. Um, but it's also hard, right? Like even now, as I'm talking to you, it's, I want to be present right here. I don't want to be thinking what I just did. Is there something on the stove? <laughs> is my dog locked in? You know, what am I going to do later this afternoon? You know, <clears throat> our mind is just like the monkey mind jumping all, all over the place, you know? And so I think that, um, how can we incorporate simple things that keep us in the moment? Right. And so <clears throat> meditation is a big word, you know, I mean, I always, um, find meditation very stressful. Like sitting down for five minutes and trying to quiet my mind is practically impossible for me. So, so I prefer body-centered mindfulness. So where I'm dropping into my body. So one thing that I love teaching is the body scan, like the one-minute body scan. And we can just do it right now. I can just guide you through it right now. Um, and this is I do this every morning when I go to work. Like I sit in my chair before I start the craziness of my you know day. Um, or if I'm having a crazy day and I'm just feeling really stressed, you know, like I'm feeling anxious, I'm feeling um, irritable, you know, I'm feeling like I'm going to be reactive. And I just sit down in my chair and say, okay, let's, let's do this. And so you just sit down wherever you are, you know, find a comfortable position, feet flat on the ground, um, and then just quiet your breath for a few minutes and take your attention first to your feet. And I love just focusing on my feet and wiggling my toes if they're inside shoes or if they're not, feeling my feet flat on the ground and then taking my attention to my ankles, up my shins, to my knees, up my thighs, feeling my seat in the seat of the chair. You know, is it soft? Is it hard? Is it warm? Is it cold? Feeling my back against the back of the chair, taking my attention to my belly up to my chest, all the way down my hands, arms, hands, fingers again, wiggling fingers and wiggling toes again, 
and then taking it all the way up to my shoulders feeling the stress which is where I hold my stress my shoulders my neck and then taking my attention to my eyes my nose my mouth my ears the top of my head and then just taking a deep breath up all the way from my toes up to my head and back down and that's it and it's like 30 seconds or 60 seconds but you just immediately drop back into your body and you can find a center in the chaos so a body scan is one thing that I find is very very powerful the other thing is breath work you know there's a a breathing technique called 478 and um, it, it was it's from pranayama which is a form of breathing in yoga so that's where it originated but dr. Andrew Weil took it and he found that that 478 ratio is important um, it doesn't matter the, the length of the four seven eights, but the ratio is important. And so what you do is you breathe in to a count of four, you hold the breath at the top of the breath to a count of seven, and then you breathe out all the way to a count of eight. And they've shown in studies that this actually drops blood pressure, drops heart rate, drops, you know, um, respiratory rate. So we don't want to do this when we're driving. <laughs> want to make sure that you're not doing it when you're you know operating heavy machinery um but just you know when you're just in a place where you're like um feeling like one place I do do it though in the car is at a traffic light you know not while I'm actually driving but if I'm at a traffic light and I can feel myself getting really anxious because I got to get somewhere and I'm hitting all those red lights you know it's an opportunity at every moment to do the four seven eight breaths so you breathe in to a count of four then you hold your breath at the top to a count of seven. And then you breathe out to a count of eight. So that's another simple tool. So the body scan and the four, seven, eight breath. And the final thing that I really, really like a lot is um, having an anchor of some sort. So I have a little stone um, that I had painted in a in an art project some years ago that just says love on it. It's a tiny little stone and I all, I keep it in my pocket all the time. And so if I'm in a place where I'm like, okay, I need to, I need to get back. I need to stop going down these rabbit holes of thought or these rabbit holes of worry, you know, all these rabbit holes of, you know, you know, kind of negative, negative um, self-judgment, self-criticism, you know, we've all been there, right? Um, you know, it's sometimes hard to turn those things off. Um, just saying, okay, I don't want to do this. I don't want to think about this anymore. But if I can, if I reach for that cool, I feel the cool heaviness of the stone in my hand, it's an anchor. And then it immediately tells me, okay, okay, so things are going to get okay. Things are going to be okay. You know, here's my anchor. And then it helps me focus on something else. For me personally, it's mantra. You know, like I have certain Sanskrit mantras that I go to, but it, you can find anything from any. It doesn't have to be part of any dogma or religion or spirituality or anything. It can just be some an affirmation. You know, things are going to be okay. You know, I'm okay. I'm well. You know, I, I'm going to be okay. But I think it just having that physical anchor again is a way to connect to something that's in your body. Um, and some people like, you know, squeeze balls, you know, um, things like that, little squishy toys and things like that, too, that can be, you know, a good way to sort of redirect your thoughts. So I think those three things are going to things I talk about a lot in my office to to kids about how can we bring ourselves back into the moment, bring ourselves back into the body and focus on the breath. 
Um, and there's lots of other breath breath techniques, but I think the 478 is kind of the easy one because it has a, there's a number attached to it, so it helps you remember to do it. And you can just do it quickly, you know, in a few seconds, quietly, you know, wherever you are. I know my girls do it a lot before they have to take, you know, tests, you know, all these assessments and tests and quizzes and finals. They're, they, I know they use the 478 quite a bit. Oh, I'm going to have to start using that one. I think that that is definitely helpful to relieve some stress before exams or like big events or meetings or interviews, things like Absolutely. that. Really good idea. So talking about these like different things we can do for our health and just being able to bring mindfulness into the moment, how are you able to create just mental safe spaces for yourself at this age, even as a young adult? How can you start to do this habit at a young age to keep it going throughout your life yeah and it, it is constantly a challenge I think to to sort of find that connection especially in the challenge of the pandemic right I mean we've we've sort of gotten into these places where you know we don't we we lost opportunity to connect with people in physical spaces right you know and we had to so you know physically distance you know but continue to try to stay socially connected um, and so I think the, the important thing that I always talk about is, you know, healthy boundaries. <laughs> so so and, and, and when I talk about healthy boundaries, I'm talking about them sort of on a on a mind, body, spirit level, you know, so um, creating spaces where we have a, we plan for healthy food. You know, and so we can put a healthy boundary down when when there is an opportunity for putting something unhealthy into our body. You know, we are able to put a healthy boundary and say, you know, I don't want that in my body, whatever it might be, whether it's a substance or a food, you know, or a stimulant of some kind, you know. Um, so planning ahead, you know, and having healthy food choices and con connecting with resources that allow you to have those healthy food choices in your environment. And then so that's sort of kind of the body piece of it. And then also putting down healthy boundaries when it comes to, um, to to peer to peer relationships, right? So we we have, um, you know, we all have peer pressure. <laughs> it doesn't matter what age you are, honestly. <laughs> you know, we we value the the opinion and we value the um, the attention and we value the 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 support of our peers. You know, whatever age we are, and so trying to create um, network networks of people who have this who value the same things as you and so for that i think the first thing is as a young adult i is important to find out what is it that feeds your spirit and what is it that brings you joy um because i mean i i, I think that you know being in connection with your spirit is completely independent of religious dogma or spiritual dogma, right? And, you know, I, I have one daughter who's an atheist and one who's a mystic, <laughs> you know, complete opposite ends of the spectrum. Um, but they both find joy in their lives through, through connecting to their spirit. And so that's one of the important questions I ask my young patients when they come into my office is like, what makes you happy? You know, and so trying to find connection um with your spirit whether it be through music through sports um you know th through peer interaction um through quiet time you know being alone 
Um, and then creating a network of people around you who value the same things as you. And so that you have that, that little space um, where you can actually be with somebody um, and you know that that's a, a safe space for your mind, body, and spirit. And so connecting to um, your spirit can look different for different people. So, you know, it could be through mindful movement, through dance, you know, movement is one one way. Um, the other is could be an instrument, you know. Um, it could be through activities, so, you know, running, um, being part of a team sport. Um, it could be through music, you know, just quietly listening to something by yourself. Um, being able to stay sit with yourself quietly actually is difficult for a lot of people today. You know, we're so used to overscheduling and constant stimulation that when we actually get quiet with ourselves, it can feel uncomfortable in the beginning. And so being able to have that time with yourself quietly also is another way to connect to spirit. Um, but I think that's that's really important is for young um, adults to understand what healthy boundaries are. You know, I, there was a, a quote, which I might be paraphrasing, but a healthy boundary is the distance at which I can love you and me at the same time. And I love that because I think, you know, we set, tend to compromise ourselves sometimes um, because we are conditioned to believe that sacrifice is being is a good choice or sacrificing of oneself or compromising oneself is being a good person but i think that's a myth and that's a flawed premise and i think self-care taking care of yourself and being able to put on a healthy boundary for yourself for your mind body and spirit is really really important first step to creating the safe space and then what happens is you automatically once you learn how to put down those boundaries like no is a full sentence i always say no is a full sentence um you don't have to explain anything or, or have any other like words after that um but it's hard right these are things that we are um you know socially i guess we're we're wired to to believe and so we have to sort of unlearn some of these things and i think you at your age is such a great age to start understanding the importance of self-care and healthy boundaries and safe spaces and creating them consciously and proactively um, in your home, in your school, you know, in your peer groups, um, so that you have something to fall back on when the stress hits. I completely agree with that. That statement you made about the healthy boundary being between you and me, completely agree. I think there's this false idea that just because you're able to sacrifice things that are really um, central to your well-being it comes off as being better at that thing for example staying up all night something as simple as staying up all night studying for a test that does not necessarily mean you're working hard that or just having less sleep in general because you're doing something else instead how do you expect to be as productive if you're not well rested how do you expect to perform at your maximum level if you're not taking care of yourself I think that that's such an important concept and that you're really, I, I heard this somewhere else in another podcast too, like um, how parents need to take care of themselves first before they can take care of their kids, because by taking care of themselves, they are actually like in a secondary way being better for their own kids because they're going to be a better parent in that way. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, I think, you know, that that that's sort of that analogy of put your own oxygen mask on first before. You yes. Go. Right. Right. I mean, and it, it's so it seems so simple. But again, I think of myself personally, like I kind of grew up with sort of the role models of the sacrificing mother. Right. And, mm. you know, and I just I can't be that. <laughs> I mean, I've got to eat 
and you know sometimes you know they'll say oh we've got to feed the children first and you know and then I'll eat and I'm like well actually I kind of have to feed myself first so that I'm in a good place and I'm you know I'm a nice kind compassionate mama for you when I'm feeding you or we all eat together but you know some of these stereotypical role modeling sort of you know these I, I think that these things are you know we have to I always say I'm a change maker and a chain breaker that's what I believe I am because I think we have to break some of these these epigenetic chains as I call them that we've sort of have been there for generations uh, what I call false premises like they're just false premises they're not true they're not true at all and I think um raising the next generation to um to understand that you know you can only give of yourself if you're taking care of yourself um but also raising the next generation to understand that giving of yourself is also important right finding that balance you know that that you know and 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 that's where you know connection to spirit is important i think because you start knowing you can feel it in your body when you're when you're in touch when you do body scans regularly when you do breath work regularly what happens is you actually have visceral responses that tell you they're like i call it the inner gps <laughs> you know where it tells you okay i'm out of alignment right now like this is not a good choice for me i should not be making this choice or you may have you've made the choice already and then you're like not feeling good so you're like okay how can i learn from this and make maybe make a better choice next time you know without too much self judgment or self you know you know beating yourself up about it but just starting to in recognize okay well this is probably not a good choice for me right now uh, or the way i'm thinking or the way i'm choosing or the way i'm acting whatever it might be is just not healthy so that's where some of these mindfulness practices can be so so valuable um and then doing what you love regularly can be valuable too because it takes you to a place of joy and you can feel the visceral response of joy you know and feeling good and feeling like you made a you know a good a good choice too so then you start feeling the contrast and then th- that kind of inner inner a uh, guidance is is valuable um you know, especially when peer pressure can be so loud you know what other people are saying can be so loud especially with social media and all of the the challenges that you that this generation is facing that are you know the previous generations did not you know everything's in real time also right now right you know you, you know right away if somebody likes something or doesn't like something right so so i think being able to find a place that really um that little quiet place i can always call it the calm and the chaos like that little center in the chaos um because the chaos isn't going to stop you know so it's it's tra- trying to find tools that help us in good sleep good nutrition mindfulness practices you know being in the moment um all of these things can really help um deal with the stress and also decrease the inflammation you know which is the kind of the ultimate goal of integrative medicine is to try to prevent disease you know not wait for it to manifest and then treat it if you love this episode and learned as much as i did please be sure to give it a rating and follow at underscore the brain food podcast on instagram to stay updated with new episodes new guests, and other fun posts. So starting this week, I decided to do a little book recommendation of the week each episode. So this week, it's going to be Ikigai, which is a book by Hector Garcia and Francesque Morales. Hopefully I didn't butcher those names, but basically it is the Japanese secret to a long and happy life. Ikigai is a Japanese proverb that just basically talks about 
what it is that somebody's purpose is. I have it here in front of me. And according to the Japanese, everybody has this ikigai, which is a reason for living. And according to the residents of the Japanese village, with has, which has the world's longest living people, finding it is the key to living a happier and longer life. And I'm about midway through this book right now. It's absolutely incredible and I highly recommend it. Without further ado, I hope you all enjoyed part one of this episode with Dr. Anu French, and I hope you stay tuned for the next one.